Welcome to Theology for the People. This week, I've got a special episode for you. It's a discussion that I had together with our worship pastor, Michael Payne, and some visiting missionaries who have been friends of mine for almost 20 years, maybe a little less, and they are George and Sharon Markey. Now, a few months ago, I posted a conversation that I recorded in Budapest at a kitchen table at like midnight with George right before I flew back to the U.S., but this time, George and his family, they were in the U.S. for a little bit, and they stopped by, visited our church, gave a presentation at our church. It was really good. But one of the things that we often do is we record conversations for our YouTube channel, church's YouTube channel, with visiting missionaries that we support. And so we did that with the Marquis. But I thought, you know what? This is a good conversation. It tells a story about missions, like how does one become a missionary? What do missionaries do? What was it like going into the former Soviet Union right after the Iron Curtain fell and communism ended in Ukraine, for example. So they tell these stories as well as George's wife, Sharon Markey. She shares a lot about what it's like to be on the mission field as a mother and as a woman ministering on the team. And so I'd love for you to listen to this conversation and I will be back at the end with a few closing comments. Hey, welcome to Whitefields Community Church Missions Extra. And this week we have here with Pastor Nick, I have George and Sharon Markey from Kiev, Kiev, Ukraine. And they're joining us as part of, they were here visiting with us this weekend with their family and they were able to share with the church and we just had a great time getting to know them. They're missionaries that we support and uh, and they're very much involved in what's happening over in the Ukraine at the moment. At the moment, they're in Budapest, but they're running a team that's doing a lot of great things in rescue placement and relief efforts that are going into Ukraine. And so during our time here, we're just going to have a conversation. We're going to get to learn who they are and um, and ways that you can be praying for them and ways that you can be supporting what they are attempting to do. And uh, we, as a church, we're 100% behind them and want to just do whatever we can to support the ministry over there. And uh, they're just doing great gospel work. But if you missed any of our sermons over this weekend, whitefieldschurch.com, you can get there and see it. If you've missed any of our Mission to Extra, I've done a couple interviews with... Um, Genya and Sasha over there when I was in, in the Ukraine. I've done some with George's brother, John Markey, and with Nate Medlong, who are in Chernobyl and Kharkiv as well. And so a lot of you looking to get some more information and want to learn what's going on over there. We've got some great interviews that are up on our YouTube channel, up on our podcast. If you like podcasting, there's Google and Apple and all any of your favorite podcast platforms. And if you would rate and review, that would be great. Thumbs up. If you're watching this on YouTube, subscribe, do whatever you can. And just to boost us in the algorithm when people are asking questions like what's happening in Ukraine that we're going to be able to show up there on the top of their list and be able to provide them with Christ-centered, gospel-centered answers to their questions and give you ways that you can really be involved and really affect in some way what's going on over there. So just to start out with our conversation, we've kind of talked about you guys over over the years as we've talked about missionaries. And, but I just want to, if you can give us kind of the Cliff Notes version of how you all ended up, I'll start with you, George, and then we can move on to you, Sharon, how you stand, started or ended up there in, in, in the Ukraine. And because I think it's a pretty exciting story. 
Yeah. It began with my dad. He's a, he was a pastor in the Midwest with Calvary Chapel, one of the first ones. And it was uh, when the Iron Curtain fell. That was back in 91, I think. And that's when Ukraine actually got, gained its independence. His heart was stirred as he saw different missions going in and watching videos of how people were just snatching up Bibles and just the stories of how people were coming to Christ but needing churches that would disciple them and help them grow. And he looked around. He looked around his city in the Conferenceville, Indiana, and a church in every corner. And he thought, "Man, I need to be over there because here people can be picky. Like, oh, I don't want to go to this church. I want to go to that church." And but there's, they didn't have anything or very, very little. And so his heart was stirred to go and help plant healthy churches that would help disciple people and and send them out to reach more. Let me just jump in there right now because there's a book about your dad. Yeah. And it was written by your brother-in-law, Jed, who's a missionary himself and uh, served with you guys in Ukraine. Now he's in Georgia doing great things. But I just recommend this book for everybody because it tells the story of how your dad was in Indiana, how he pastored, how God led him to Ukraine and ultimately Kyrgyzstan as well. And it's available in our bookstore. And I would just really recommend people check it out. Yeah. Thanks, Dick. Yeah. Now you're the oldest of? Yes. Of now nine children. We adopted a Ukrainian girl. Yeah. And Jed is actually married to my twin sister. So okay. We're the oldest. Actually, she claims the, what is the eldership or the, <laughs> <laughs> she's 47 minutes older than I am. 47 minutes. <laughs> yeah. So oh, wow. Okay. She doesn't let, me, doesn't let me forget that. So how old, okay, we're, we're talking 1992. How old you, you're, you show up in Kiev, Ukraine. How old are you? 16. You're 16 years old. Yeah. So just give me just a, describe just a little bit of just showing up in a post-communist country with eight, eight, how many kids at this moment? Yeah, it was eight children. Yeah. Eight children at this yeah. moment. Yeah. So just walk me through that just a little bit. Wow. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Let's go back in time. Yeah, it was, we didn't know what to expect, so we, but we get there and going back decades in some sense and just things were run down kind of get this feeling of the Soviet Union was here. Just, I don't know how to say it. But at that time, also, there's a lot of the stores where they would have maybe four or five items and that was it on, on their shelves. And so that wasn't necessarily food shortages, but just very limited things and just the basics. And people were very warm though, because we were Americans. And at that time, Americans were these celebrities or, they, or they'd be just surprised you're American. And there was a Definitely an openness and actually wanting to be more American in some sense. So, yeah, but then again, you get this feeling of Soviet Union when everything's for inflation. I experienced extreme culture shocks. We came in, we didn't know the language at all. So, didn't know the culture. That's because, like, you're a 16-year-old. Oh, yeah. You're a teenager Uh and you're just plucked out of Indiana at the moment. And now you're in, like, Indiana's not exactly, like, very... City or now Kiev is yeah they're on yeah, a farm you're on a farm all of a sudden three million or I don't know, that time was two and a half million people yeah so <laughs> and the city uh, Kiev is not a small city oh, no. it is a massive sprawl of buildings Jeez. how did you how does that yeah I was my dad we committed to a year and I was thinking okay when's that year going to be up I'm going to get back <laughs> as a teenager too I'm just kind of awkward just you know, people are talking language you don't understand, laughing, probably laughing at me, and then just missing friends, family, pizza, McDonald's, and all that stuff. So how long do you think it took you to catch the vision that your father yeah. had? It was at least probably about three or four months. I, was, I started to really get it. Maybe after half a year, I was really beginning to like being there. But before that, I was like just wanting to go back and homesick. But I guess it was what really got me was just seeing the young people's desire to read the Bible, their interest in Christianity. I, I was a Christian. Yeah, I am a Christian. <laughs> I was a Christian then, but I, I'd say my faith has grown a lot. But at that time, I had never really seen young people excited about the things of God. Many of them were excited about English at first, but 
still seeing that, many then choosing to follow Christ, many times against the wishes of their parents, and then hanging out with these guys. And I, it was just, it was an exciting time, just seeing the hunger for the things of God. So I got, got a hold of my heart and I thought, yeah, this is something I would like to be part of. And being able to realize this. And as, as, also as I began learning the language and realizing, actually I actually like learning languages. So I, I was always walking around with a notebook and trying to get, learn as much Russian at first and then Ukrainian. So, yeah. Yeah, I was going to ask you. So, when you went there at first, did you have, did your dad have a church that he was mm. going there to lead that was already in existence, or was it to start from, from scratch? Yeah. He had taken a trip with some cavalry pastors to survey things. He went to Moscow, Kiev, and St. Petersburg. In Kiev, he was actually approached by a church to be the pastor. And it was a church that was exploding. But when we went to Kiev, things changed. Like the people, like half the people were not into having an American pastor and things were just going south for that church. Unfortunately, they ended up splitting and then just folding. I remember that at that moment when things were going bad, we just thought, man, what are we came to do this? What are we going to do now? <laughs> and we, my dad and, and mom made the decision, okay, we're going to start from scratch. We're going to just start a church from zero. That's what we did. So we had some people we knew through that, through that church and some others. We'd already made some acquaintances and connections and that helped us get things started. But we started for, with non-believers. Non That's amazing. Let's talk about you, Sharon. You, George is in Kiev. You can't be far away enough geographically <laughs> starting your life in Hawaii. So let's begin there. And then how did you guys end up getting together? And now you have six children and living the exciting <laughs> life of a refugee. Yeah. So let's begin there. Okay. I was born in Hawaii. Both my parents were born in Hawaii, met and married there. But my dad Actually, my grandfather worked for the U.S. Navy, and so he moved around a bit when my dad was growing up. And for a while, they had lived in Southern California in a city called Corona, and Chuck and Kay Smith had been pastoring there, and this was before Calvary Chapel. And my dad had really come to value his teaching style. And so after he grew up, got married, when he tried to figure out what he wanted to do with his life, his burning desire was to be in ministry with Chuck Smith. And so he wrote a letter to him and said, hey, is there any place for me there? At This is at this point, Chuck had already moved to Costa Mesa and started to pastor Cal Calvary Chapel. Oh, yeah. <laughs> and, and Chuck said, yeah, sure, come on over. And so I was a year and a half old. We moved to California. And for the next 33 years, my dad worked at the church there. He, for a period of time, the church had a little business jet. And so my dad would fly Chuck around the country to various pastor's conferences. And every year they would fly out to Indiana to Crawfordsville to a pastor's conference that George's dad had started. It was the Midwest Calvary Chapel Pastor's Conference. And so my dad actually met George's dad. And they developed a relationship over the years. He, my dad was also the, uh, the TV department, a one-man TV department for the church there. So I grew up as a, my dad always called my sister and me church mice. Our mom died when we were five, and we spent a lot of time at the church. We would wake up in the morning, eat a bowl of Cheerios and orange juice, go to church because we went to the church school. And when we got done with school, we'd go hang out in the church office with all the secretaries till our dad got done with work. Then we'd go to a restaurant, <laughs> grab dinner, come back to the church for the evening service because something happened every night of the week, and then finally get home, go to bed, and get up the next day and do it all over again. So we spent more time at church each day than at home, I think. And when I was in junior high school, I listened to a friend of my mom's who was a missionary, and she was talking about her work with her husband among Jews in Jerusalem, and my heart was deeply touched. And I, my mom was actually translating for me because her friend was Japanese and it was in Japanese and she was translating it. I should say, okay, 
that's confusing. My mom died. This was my stepmom. When I was 11, my dad remarried to a woman from Japan. Anyhow, she was translating for me, and I start crying. She said, what's wrong? Are you, do you have a stomach ache or something? And I said, I'll tell you later. But what was wrong was actually something right. The Holy Spirit was deeply touching my heart with a, a conviction that there could be nothing more valuable that I could do with my life than to try to take the good news of Jesus to people who had never heard. And I started praying about becoming a missionary. And by the time I graduated from high school, I was sure that was what God wanted me to do. And uh, so I was preparing for that. My burning desire was to go as a missionary to Muslim peoples, preferably in an unreached, closed country, because that's where the greatest need was. Um, but God had other plans. So I, when George had graduated from his master, from graduate school, he came to the United States for a summer for his sister's wedding. And while he was there, he and his dad came to California for a Calvary Chapel Pastors Conference. And my dad was working at the conference as the video guy, and he met George, and he was very impressed by George. And I'd never dated, and I actually, I'd never, no, I told my dad when I was 16 that I would like him to arrange my marriage. I wasn't serious in the sense that I expected him to do it, but I really didn't want to date. I saw a lot of problems with the dating system, and I really wanted my dad involved in the process. So he's all these years has been watching me, waiting for me to kind of get started, get dating, and I never do. And he started to think maybe I was waiting for him to do something. And he met George and realized these two could be a really good team. And so he talked to George's dad about it. He asked him, what's the wife situation with your son? And George's dad said, George is looking for a go anywhere and do anything for Jesus type of woman. And my dad's thinking, my daughter wants to go to a closed Muslim country. And he said, I have a daughter I'd like him to meet. And so the dads thought, oh, that's a good idea. And George liked the idea. So my dad called me and he told me he'd met someone that he wanted me to meet. And I was shocked because my dad is not impulsive at all. I was also really intrigued. And we met and immediately we felt like old friends. We talked and talked all day long. And by lunchtime on the first day, he decided that he wanted to marry me. He did not tell me that, which was good because I probably would have thought he was a little bit bonkers to make up his mind so quickly. But we had three days together and then he went back to Ukraine and we just continued to stay in touch with email. And it took me seven months of praying about it to come to co the conclusion that yes, God was calling me to marry George. One of the problems for me was I would have to go to Ukraine and I wanted to go to like Morocco or Afghanistan or something. But God finally convinced me and I really liked George. I wanted to be with him, but I wanted to make sure that it was what God wanted too. And uh, yeah, that's how I ended up in Ukraine. We got married as soon as I graduated and I moved there immediately. Wow. You guys are certainly are, from my experience of viewing you, a great team together, especially as a family. Your kids are amazingly adaptive to whatever situation they need to be in. <laughs> they don't, they always go and explore and see the new things and wherever they, so they've definitely, the go, it's the go anywhere kind of attitude to <laughs> both of you has definitely filtered down into to all your kids. And so let's just bring to the present now. I talked about the fact that you are now refugees from Kiev. Your home is in Kiev and you're right now you're living in Budapest because you can't be in Kiev. And because at the moment of this interview, they are still lobbing missiles <laughs> into the West. Yeah. And we just got reports of into Chernobyl, where your brother is. They're into Lviv. They're still lobbing things in there. And they're just, hey, letting people know that we're still here. And and so just give us the brief of how you had to escape from Kiev and how you ended up in Budapest. And then we'll move from there just to 
what is the Lord doing now? Because as you've said, as we've discussed, for you next week, you you can't really plan for the future, which is the case of not only our missionaries, but also most Ukrainians. They don't know what next week looks like or a month from now. They're living from day to day yeah. at the behest of somebody they might be staying with or somebody supporting them. And so it's a very precarious situation. And so just walk us through a little bit just of what happened in Kiev and how you had to leave around February 24th when the war began. Yeah. Go ahead. Okay. When the war began, our six kids and I were actually already in Western Ukraine. We'd gone there in stages. First, we sent our three oldest kids and I and the three youngest kids went. Just as a precaution, we didn't think that we were going to need to evacuate. We thought we would just go back home after things blew over. But that wasn't the case. So the day the war started, we heard George was in Kiev still, and people all over the city were awakened by explosions because of missile attacks on this strategic airfield outside of Kiev. And George immediately tried to start to evacuate to get to us, because that had been our plan. If Russia invades, he will come join us and we'll figure out what we're doing as a family. But he couldn't get out of the city because everybody was trying to get out of the city and the traffic was, it, it was just a parking lot, the road west out of the city. So he gave up, went back home, and his, he wasn't in our, we didn't have a car. He was hitching a ride with a friend. So the idea was they would try again first thing the next morning. Meanwhile, the kids and I in Western Ukraine, where we thought we would be so safe, we were in a basement because air raid sirens had been going off in the city that morning. There weren't any rocket strikes. When you hear air raid sirens, you take shelter. That night, we spent the night in the basement because the air raid sirens started going off after they'd gone to bed and was up all night worrying about George, wondering if he was going to get out safely, wondering if we would see him again. But God was gracious, and in the morning, he was able to get out of the city on his second try. He had to leave our dog behind, and that was really wrenching for me and for my second son, who's really has a soft place in his heart for all animals, and especially our dog. But God was gracious again, and we were reunited with our dog three weeks later. It was an interesting story. <laughs> the dog had quite a lot of adventures, but we got him back. And George was on his way across Ukraine. It was a very a much longer trip than usual because of all these checkpoints that had been set up. And that second day of the war, as he was getting out, George's brother and his family of eight decided they would also leave. They have a nine-seat van, and I asked, will you please take us with you? So they graciously allowed the seven of us to cram into with them in their nine-seat van, so 15 people in a nine-seat van. And we headed across the mountains to Hungary. And George was able to join us there 24 hours later. And we, counting the first move from Kiev to western Ukraine, and all the successive moves as we were just going from place to place in Hungary. We moved seven times in three weeks, but then we ended up at an apartment in Budapest where we are now, got our dog back the same day we moved into the apartment, and we feel more or less stable. We've set up a temporary home for ourselves, and George, very immediately, before we even had a settled place to live, got involved in a lot of projects to help Ukraine that you can probably talk about it then. Better. Yeah, let's yeah let's talk about that because Nick and I arrived. Our story we've talked a little bit about it, but when we we were supposed to be at a conference in Irpin, which is just north of in this basically a suburb of Kiev, which is ended up being one of the hardest hit places. And Nick and I were supposed to be at a conference then, and so we had ended up canceling our tickets. But then that weekend after the war started, it was the Lord placed on our hearts that 
we just needed to be there and be present. And so we flew over and we met you guys in, in Hungary, in Vita, and the, probably the minute we arrived, <laughs> things were starting to move already. You guys didn't waste any time, as you said. Pretty much as soon as you arrived in Hungary, your attention turned back to Ukraine because there was a humanitarian crisis that was starting to balloon. And yeah. it was at one point, there's four or five million that were externally dis displaced, right? And yeah. as 25 million now total displaced with internally and externally. And that was, for me, I arrived one day, next day, I'm actually driving to Ukraine and Nick is having to help with the Vita situation and placement and getting involved in that situation. So we really hit the ground running. You guys were also getting all your contacts together and all these people, which was such an amazing thing. We've talked about that in earlier videos, just how God brought has brought for such a time as this through 30 years of ministry and being there, not only in Hungary, Germany, Italy, Spain, all of our contacts across Europe came together for that. But so let's talk about just a little bit about the, what was your mindset. You're now, your families are refugees. Where do we go from here? So walk us through how you got involved in leveraging all the people you've known for the last 30 years into the relief and rescue and placement that took place. Yeah. Yeah, it seemed like it was ages ago, ages ago when that happened, right? Yeah, so much has been crammed in the last three months. I almost had to remember it. What was I feeling? What was I doing? Yeah, but I remember immediately we were pretty much from morning to night, we were on our telephones or whatever because we were just trying to court. It's in some ways chaotic, right? Because you have this person writing, hey, we're, we need help here and connecting people and helping people get out. And because this is happening. Like five different chat platforms. Five different chat, yeah, <laughs> just five. Yeah, and so you're like, you get up and yeah, maybe a few hundred unread messages and you're just like, oh gosh, and you start yeah. working through that. And you get up after having only slept for three or four yeah. hours mm -hmm. because you're up late answering people's questions and yeah. connecting people and getting up early to never stops. And on the one hand, it was because we were fortunate to have all these contacts. And one, interestingly enough, I'd been part of a program that was starting up to train police chaplains. There's army chaplains that were, that came into being in 2014, when it, things, the uh, Russia had first started taking away territory, but now they just, uh, I think it was maybe two years old, they established this program to get into the police force and help them be putting these chaplains in a great initiative, great project. So I just jumped on board with that because I was thinking, I want to be able to be part of that in my community. It turned out to be very providential because we had, we were supposed to graduate in March. We just finished. And of course we didn't do that, but we already had this chat with these different students, with the different chaplains. And so... Right away, we knew what was going on, for one thing. Secondly, Cause these yeah, students were yeah, all over Ukraine, yeah, mm -hmm. and, and many of them in the hotspots, and we're doing frontline stuff. So once we got our ground bearings in, in Hungary and realizing oh, there's this overwhelming desire to help, we knew where the needs were. So I began just writing and saying, hey, guys, let me know if you guys need help. We want to know who's on the ground, what we can do. Right away, I got some messages and established some long-term relationships. And this is besides the Calvary Chapels, besides the other churches that we had. We were also involved with that as well. But yeah, this network came together of just, and again, and then this, the Calvary Chapels wanted to help. And we, Pastor Caleb, he and I began to do videos, and which was turned out to be really good because it was getting out the news, what's going on day to day. We were doing daily videos. And Mike was involved in that as well. And so people were just saying, hey, we, we need to get a vehicle. I said, okay, we got money. Here, get that vehicle for those these guys on the front lines and just those kind of things. And uh, yeah, I just were, uh, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> well, you were, yeah, I was there and I was witnessing. Yeah, Mike was there. And in a sense, we were making it up as we went. 
but you could really sense the Lord's hand yeah. and just the cooperation across so many different. I was getting calls from just people got my name and from this mission organization and this church, some little church on was on the eastern border of Hungary, and they want to make a run into Ivanko Frank. Yeah. What do we need to know? I'm like, okay, I had to gain experience from our run into the Ukraine and stuff. So God, God had used us to get information, which ended up helping some of these paramilitary organizations. And, and in some ways it was like surreal, as you say, having those conversations. And I remember Tanya was working with you and I remember she answered one of those at four in the morning and I know she only went home at 12. So. <laughs> And it was so, yeah, you just grabbed a family and you worked it through to its end. There's a rally point. How do I get these people who are handicapped? They are in a 10-story apartment in Kiev and they can't. And Jed, your brother-in-law, he was involved in that, leveraging his things. And then, of course, talking with the chaplains and then building the supply lines and trying to get warehouses yeah. and cars. And it was all happening. And it was like we were... It was changing from hour to hour as to what you were doing. It was so fast-paced at the beginning. And it was like... Wow, this is, and then just seeing people jump in from Germany, from Denmark. Hey, we've got a bus coming and we're going through, just put in as many people on that as possible. All those orphans that were in the East and got yeah. them all the way to Lviv and people just working their angles and just so many different stories like that was so, so amazing that the Lord brought all of that together it was yeah. just, it was mind boggling, but it's so good to see that. God knew it was going to happen and he put it all together. So let's let's just talk about going forward, the future where you see yourselves. I want to start with you, Sharon. You're a mother. You have six kids. You represent vast majority of mothers right now who are refugees. They don't know what's coming next week, next month. What do you what do you, how are you thinking about the future and with George doing all that he's doing and you're partnering with him with the kids and with all the ladies that you're coming to contact, what do you think going forward is some of the steps that you're taking? I can't plan long-term. So the one thing pressing on my mind is the kids' schooling for next year because that is something that has to happen, and that's more of a long-term decision because school is nine months at a time, and that's a decision that all mothers who are out of Ukraine right now are having to try and navigate with their kids. There's various options and I won't bore you with the details. That is something that's heavy on my mind a lot that we'll have to figure out in the next month or two. But one thing that I am trying to do is to create rhythms and rituals with the kids that will help them feel a sense of home and stability no matter where we are. One of those things that we did very regularly when we were in Ukraine was George and I would try every week to take one of the kids out in turn on a date individually. So each week there would be a date with daddy and a date with mommy and they would like, we'd cycle through them. And after we got out of Ukraine, that just, we almost forgot about it. And we've tried to bring that back. Um, of course, right now we're in the States and we haven't been doing it here, but in family meal times and book that I was reading to them, it's a novel by George MacDonald. And actually, we got it back. George went back into Ukraine a few times since the war started, and he actually went to our apartment a few times and was able to bring out a few important things. So I, we have the book that we're reading through. So just things like that to give them a sense of home, no matter where we are. And they're doing remarkably well. I'm really grateful that I'm sure that they're struggling with things inside because how can they not? But for the most part, you've seen them. They just they just adapt. I'm quite surprised. Just like they just find their place. They're very friendly. They're very, they, the, when you guys were talking yesterday, the 
Peter is in a conversation about tanks with one of the other guys, the other kids that he's just met. And they're just like talking about this kind of, okay, all right, I'll just leave you guys be. So yeah, they're just very adaptive. And But so George, we went hiking with Nick yesterday and we took Samuel and uh, Kiyoshi with us. And we t- on that hike talked about some of the strategy, things moving forward, because this is an ever-changing landscape right now. As the war evolves, the war hasn't stopped. There's still 100, 200 Ukrainian soldiers dying every day. So there's still a great need there. But the refugee situation is becoming now long-term. So those things, before it was like anybody would take, oh, sure, you can come stay at my house. And now we're 100, 150 days, 200 days, 300. What is that situation going to look like? And then now you've got, you said you've identified like 60 families, Ukrainian families that are living in various towns there in Hungary. How do we go and minister to them? So just walk us through some of these kind of future things that people can be praying for the next steps for us. For you as missionaries and the groups that you're working with, us as a church, how we can partner with, how we can pray for you going forward. Yeah, there's a lot. As you're sharing, I just what comes to mind is even the workers that are serving there, a lot of them are reaching breaking point in some sense and needing that, needing encouragement, refreshment. Our team, I'm always trying to balance that too. I want to take care of them and their needs and talk about what they're going through. So there's the needs outside our, our immense. And so they're doing a lot of stuff. You want to talk about those things, but then one of the, one of the gals on our team and her husband is right now, as we speak, I think he's, I was following the texts because he's kind of been going back and forth. Like he went to the front lines, they took him back. And now it looked like he was going to be able to, not to go because he has his parents, he's taking care of his parents. And now it looks like he's going back. Now mm-hmm. I found out. So dealing with that, helping her, another gal just, she's in Budapest helping us, but then she had not any friends, you know, and just missing home in one on hand, but knowing she needs to stay, just complicated issues. So if you could be praying for the workers themselves and in Ukraine, just the pastors and their families. I mean, there's, they're, they've been going since February 24th, nonstop pretty much. And they're trying to, I think they've tried to establish more rhythms so they can be with their families and kids. But, and then of course, these women outside, they're separated from their husbands for all these days, for these three months. So be praying for that and just how they, just helping them navigate that. And then long-term, and it, so they're having to make these decisions. We're together. It's difficult, but we have each other. But they're having to make the decisions, like, where are we going to live? Which country? Where are kids going to go to school? How do I help my kids get just? What am I going to do for work? So you keep, yep, that's another prayer point. So those are the challenges, but then there's also amazing opportunities that you want to take advantage of where there's an openness because there's a great need. And so as we provide community for these people, then they're we're able to share God's love in practical ways. Yeah, the other day we were talking about, again, like people have been so busy, but it's been, we want to get the organizations and churches together just to talk in Hungary. What's everybody doing? What are they up to? How can we help each other better? We want to go back into Ukraine and make a trip to talk about helping revitalize businesses, which will help the economy because the economy is just taking a huge hit. It's going to take years, if not decades, to kind of get back. So we want to talk about that, about church planning and about, so you can be praying about that too. How can we what is it? What should church ministry look like? I think people have realized that it needs to be more than just a Sunday service. It needs to be taking care of the whole person. So there's a lot of physical help and then coupling that with preaching the gospel, helping establish, doing discipleship. So we want to do it. When, when I go back, we want to also get together with some other people too and talk about what's the strategy behind that. What, what can we do to make, I don't know, there's a lot, but you could be praying. So I guess the ministers and for God would take care of their needs. They would be refreshed. And then wisdom and how much to do, taking care of the, taking advantage of the opportunities within country. How can we help start rebuilding? 
How can we do church ministry better, church planning? Because there's unprecedented opportunities, again, to bring people into the kingdom, to have a kingdom impact. We have all these connections now with the government because of what we've been doing. We have, we have a lot of favor there because we've done a lot. And so how to work with that? I don't know. I guess it Oh, yeah. yeah and, and George, one of the things that I think is really encouraging that I would want all of our viewers and listeners to know about is that you had told me that even in the midst of the war, it's not like the mission of God has been put on pause, Yeah. but just the opposite. Things have changed radically. But on the other hand, you're telling me about new churches being planted, yeah. families who had lived in certain places now being moved to other places yeah. and saying, hey, we're going to buy an apartment here and we're going to start a church in the yeah. city. And, and thankfully, we got to be a small part of, of helping with that, and we're excited mm -hmm. about that. I know about church plants in Kiev going on, and I, I would just want people to know that's we talk about the opportunities, yet there are humanitarian needs, there are humanitarian opportunities, there are also opportunities for church planting, and the mission of God continues to move forward, yeah. even as rockets are being fired. Yeah. People amazed just, yeah, the bravery. And in some sense, this crisis brought out who's who. And we've seen in our cover movement, one guy, you can be praying for Shane. He's, he's, God's raising him up and he's just stepped up. And I've just been really impressed. He's taken other leaders under his wing. And so you want to get behind those kind of people who are doing that. I know, I know Ben too, and those, they're doing some amazing works. And from our church plant, now there's three. We're, we want to, we're just starting, starting a community where we are. I mean, there's coverage there, but we want to, where we are, we want to be a, also, just being reaching out to those people we, we live next to. And then, like you were saying, so Kiev, we have a couple back where we're in our apartment doing this kind of youth thing, and they're reaching this, reaching their community, doing discipleship, and, and this couple build, but buying an apartment. So from our church plant, now there's three. And that's exciting. Yeah, so I, we could probably talk all afternoon yeah. about this. But I just want to ask you two things before we bring this to the close. The second one would just be about your website and all of that. But I just, this question came to my mind was, if you could compare going to Kiev in 1992, the openness of the gospel, and mm. now, what do you think well, is, yeah. how do you think there's a difference? Do you think, how do you think people are reacting to the gospel in the midst of this immense persecution, basically, that's happening? Yeah. Sometimes it's been a catalyst. Like we, even within our, just in our church plant, at least one, if not two or three of the people that have, they've now become Christians because of this. And I know and there's many other stories that I've heard similar things. And then there's been people that we've been building relationships with. Now it's gone to the next level. And they're not believers yet, but they're praying every day. They're reading the Bible because of the desperate need. And I would say, yeah, there's the level of openness is very similar. It's a different situation. Yeah. I think just the, as we just continue to serve in practical ways, there's going to be continuing these gospel conversations with them. I don't know. What would you say? Similar thing. Yeah, I'd agree. Yeah, no, that's pretty amazing. Because I even just in the time that I spent in the command tent that we had with the, yeah. some of those paramilitary guys, just the witness of the church yeah. to these guys who cursing every second word. And we were just like hanging out. There are all these pastors who are like, way out of their depth, but the Lord is, was using you and all your contacts and bringing all these things together. And it was such a witness, I think, for that. I just wonder if those seeds were planted for future with all the, the connections, the interactions that you've had and many of the other the missionaries like David and Paul and these over these past few weeks and months with all these other organized, secular organizations in this and how the, the Lord's going to use that going forward. Um, Two things are happening too that are exciting. So because of the suffering, 
people are more open to the gospel, to God, to spiritual things. And the suffering is also providing the church an opportunity to shine, and it's shining brightly. Yeah. It is not just Calvary Chapel, just all over the country. Believers are stepping up, and they are being the hands and feet of Jesus, and people are noticing. And it's in this time when they're searching for spiritual answers, suddenly they're coming into contact with Christians whom they might never have come into contact before in their normal pre-war life. And God is God's using it. Yeah. yeah. Like one quick example is somebody who was telling us about that, but there's a, like a famous atheist blogger that now is like saying, I, going through all this, I cannot deny there's a God. So this guy just... He said, I would be the fool, oh, most yeah. foolish person alive to deny that there's a God. And uh, so from trying to propagate atheism, he's now preaching theism. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. Now, I'm sure there's going to be so many of these different stories over the months and years to come. Oh, here's one. Here's Isaac. <laughs> he's like... <laughs> Water. <laughs> so let's, as we close, let's just talk about just how can people get connected okay. with what's happening going forward? Yeah. So we've just... In the last week, established a website. It's called, we finally came up with a name for ourselves, Bridge UA, because we, we do, it's just this bridge metaphor comes up all the time because we've connections to Ukraine, connections outside of Ukraine. In Hungary, our, just, our goal is to help locals and, and Ukrainians so that, and just people who are doing different things, we'd like to bring them together and just not that we would do all, everything, but hey, there's some people doing amazing things and then there's these huge needs. So let's connect those things. So <clears throat> we, see, we see ourselves as a bridge often. So it's Bridgeway. And so the website, if you want to go and look what we're doing, you can go to partner.bridgeway.org. And we'll and put all this in the description yeah. so people will know how to get to it. And we're still in the process of adding things to the website, but it's already up and running. You can look and see some pro projects we're involved in. You can, it, it has how to give. We've been going through Calvary SD, Calvary Chapel, San Diego. So you can go to calvarysd.com and donate through the Ukraine fund. And it goes to us and others that are working. It goes directly to the people that are doing the work. That's how you can connect with us. You can write to us if you have questions. And we'll be updating that all the time to give you up-to-date information, what we're doing, and to our partners too as well. So thank you once again. You guys have been amazing. Have you guys just been, and we, we're just so encouraging to see them when we got to you hungry, see Mike and, and Nick, see familiar faces. And uh, we've been encouraged and just blessed by your prayers and by your giving. We love you guys. And we are just, we're privileged to be a part of all that you're doing. And yeah. as a church, we are as well. And we just look forward to all the avenues the Lord's going to open up for the gospel through this time. And we just want to pray for God to strengthen you and for you, Sharon, as well as a mother with all your the kids and the going forward to the schooling and all that stuff and, and to you together as a team and then your team there in Budapest as well. And uh, we just, we're excited. We also want to just pray that the God brings an end to this war so that yeah. the rebuilding Amen. process can start. So we just encourage you as our viewers and listeners, if you've been all the way to the end of this podcast and uh, it was well worth listening to and just continue to pray for George and for Sharon and for their kids and for his team over there. Just, this is just beginning. This is just beginning, the beginning of rebuilding, but I think just the beginning of gospel ministry in Europe. And people have just talked about post-Christian, post-post-Christian, whatever it might be. It's dark and secular. But God's doing something now. You have all these evangelical people that are flooding into Europe. And God is doing amazing things. And we're we're happy to partner and we're blessed to partner with them. And you can do that too. So make sure you connect with their website. 
Make sure you give. The Lord so puts it on your heart to do that. The financial situation is still as much needed now as it was a month ago. And they definitely need your prayers and financial support. And and uh, we, if you want to connect with us and connect with them, their website information will be in the description. And uh, look forward to seeing you all again and you'll getting some more interviews out for you on the situation. So we look forward to seeing you. God bless. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Theology for the People podcast. Make sure to check out the written blog form of Theology for the People at nickkady.org. That's N-I-C-K-C-A-D-Y dot O-R-G. Next week, I will not have an episode. I'm going to be on vacation with my family. We're taking a trip, and I'm really looking forward to that time. But I will be back soon over the next couple of weeks with some new episodes. God bless you.